Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks, everybody. Please have a seat. Welcome, one and all, down here, up there, out there, to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. It is... Day two, right? It's day two. Day two of the Republicans failing to elect a Speaker of the House. Did they fail again? Okay, good. (laughs) No one, no one, literally no one, and I call people who know things, no one knows what happens now. Here's what we do know. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's just, it's just... There was, there was one analyst who I think captured Kevin McCarthy's situation at the end of the day quite accurately. Here's what he had to say about McCarthy. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. And yet, and yet it's true. You get nothing. And yet McCarthy still hasn't given up. His speaker battle has become seemingly an endless, gripping drama and an epic spectacle, which is why tonight we're calling it Sadatar, the way of loser. <laughs> now, Ewa. Ewa. Now, I see you. Now, we take the show at 530. It's 545 right now. It's possible between, between, you know, now when you're watching it and then when we taped this show, things turned out well for Kevin McCarthy. It's not likely, because at the end of the day, he's still Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> Yesterday, this is just yesterday, right? This is only the day two. Yesterday, McCarthy tried to win enough votes to become speaker three times and failed all three times. So they adjourned. Everyone went back to their corners, tried to find a way to work things out. And McCarthy had one more incentive to offer his far-right opponents. Large number of pizzas have been seen going to Kevin McCarthy's office tonight. Republicans are now eating pizza. I don't know what's going on in those rooms other than a lot of... I would imagine that those 20 pizzas or something got delivered and and they're working on a plan. It's completely understandable. McCarthy was just conceding to this demand from the Ultramagas. Give me pizza! P-I-Z-Z-A! Give me pizza! So, so bright and early today, at the crack of noon, the House started another round of voting, and McCarthy lost again and again and again. And I believe... Is this true? I'm being told that we have footage from C-SPAN of McCarthy on the House floor for all three of those ballots. Now, three. Take it. You take it. Now, again, we taped this show uh, before 6 o'clock. And they've adjourned now. Is this? They took, an, they took a recess. They've adjourned until 8 p.m. tonight. So by the time we're broadcast, he's either speaker or he's lost five more times. <laughs> Jim, what would that look like? <laughs> and... <laughs> he's gone, gone, gone. <laughs> 
<laughs> and if they don't settle this tonight, they could keep going indefinitely. Just listen to Virginia Republican Congressman and Frankenstein's review of your mom's new haircut, Bob Good. As a never-Kevin voter, Good told reporters that in order to find a speaker who isn't McCarthy, it's worth taking a few days or a few weeks. A few weeks? They're gonna keep voting like this for a few weeks? It's gonna be like Groundhog's Day. And not just because McCarthy looks like a groundhog. Uh, so far. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 so far, McCarthy has put a brave face on his historic once-in-a-century curb stomp. Here's how he described yesterday's votes to reporters. Look, uh, today, is it, is it the day I wanted to have? No. That's a pretty mild way to assess the worst day of his political career. But it does remind me of that famous scene from Jaws. Look, today, is it the day I wanted to have? No. Ah, motion to adjourn. But despite... <laughs> despite having no apparent path to victory, McCarthy has said he is not backing down. Are there any circumstances under which you would consider pulling out of no. the race for speaker? There is no. not one. There's not one. Oh, Kevin. <laughs> Let it go. Don't you know that one of the most important things about dreams is sometimes they die? <laughs> Except for my dream where you keep losing over and over again. <laughs> Nobody pinch me. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to wake up, Mom. I don't want to go to school today. And despite his multiple failed bids, McCarthy claims the former president still supports him. He thinks it's better than all the Republicans get together to solve this. It doesn't look good for Republicans, but we want to be able to solve it when we're stronger in the long run. Really? The former president encouraged Republicans to get together and work it out for the greater good. <laughs> Did he also say we should accept the results of the 2020 election, marry one woman and eat a salad? <laughs> then this morning, just this morning, then this morning, the former president truthed out this statement, Republicans, do not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. Kevin McCarthy will do a good job, and maybe even a great job. <laughs> just watch. A ringing endorsement, just like that popular Father's Day mug, worlds may be dead. <laughs> maybe. How would you describe? Maybe. Answer, any. So McCarthy's not backing down, but neither are his opponents, like Florida representative and failed clone of Jay Leno, Matt Gates. <laughs> this weekend, McCarthy moved into the Speaker's office, and Gates is having none of it, especially after yesterday's votes. So he wrote an official letter to the person in control of the offices called the Architect of the Capitol, asking, the Speaker of the House office is currently occupied by Kevin McCarthy. What is the basis in law, house rule, or precedent to allow someone who has placed second in three successive Speaker elections to occupy the Speaker of the House office? I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, but... Matt Gates is right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's weird, but you know what they say. Even a broken clock would be a much better congressman than Matt Gates. And it's not just Republicans. It's not just Republicans out there. Independent, nonpartisan journalists like the folks at Fox News are also... <laughs> also very, very upset. 
just to see them vote and do the same thing over and over again and then make speeches to endorse Kevin McCarthy and have him not get the, I just thought it was the craziest scenario. It's making the Republicans look ridiculous. Tonight we asked the question, oh, how about this question? What would Ronald Reagan say? I don't know, Sean, something like, ah, where am I? Everything was so dark for so long, and then there were these demons dancing around me chanting, you, you should have addressed the AIDS crisis when you had the chance. <laughs> and then I woke up all of a sudden, mommy! Speaking of Reagan, there's more news about the war on drugs. Once again, the drugs are winning. On Thursday, New York opened its first legal recreational marijuana dispensary. Before this, the only place to get weed in this city was anywhere from anyone at any time. <laughs> That's what the Statue of Liberty is burning up there, baby. Now that weed is legal here, the official slogan is changing from the city that never sleeps to the city that sleeps so much better now that it started taking half a gummy at bedtime. <laughs> the first official dispensary. The first official dispensary picked the perfect time to kick off sales exactly at 4.20. <laughs> nice. They took inspiration from the neighboring sex shop that opened at 3.69. <laughs> what that means. Don't know what that means. Tons of people came out for the weed store's opening with a line of hundreds snaking around the block. Of course, that line moved a lot faster once the guy in front realized it was a pull door. <laughs> uh, I don't... Yeah. Weed isn't the only drug you'll now find your parents doing with their friends, because this week, legal use of hallucinogenic mushrooms began in Oregon. So... For my Oregonian viewers, allow me to say, you and I are passengers on the same spaceship of human experience, propelled by compassion, love, at the rhythm of a flower's heartbeat. Also, pet the dog, it feels really cool. The new measure specifically legalizes psilocybin magic mushrooms, not to be confused with other magic mushrooms, by which I mean all mushrooms. They grow in the dark. They taste great on pizza. Some even look good wearing a vest. <laughs> Here's how it'll work. As of right now in Oregon, anyone over 21 can consume mushrooms as long as they're supervised by a state-certified facilitator and a licensed service center. A licensed service center? Is this taking mushrooms or getting your tires rotated? <laughs> Wait a minute. What if the tires are staring where they are and the rest of us are rotating? <laughs> a guide might also be helpful because shrooms are not without their side effects, including nausea and vomiting, increased body temperature, abdominal cramps and diarrhea, muscle weakness, and altering your perception of reality. <laughs> Symptoms otherwise known as Taco Bell. <laughs> we got a great show for you tonight. Shania Twain. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand-new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. 
Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. First guest tonight is a five-time Grammy Award-winning singer and songwriter. She is the best-selling female country artist of all time with more than 100 million records sold worldwide. Please welcome to The Late Show, Shania Twain. Oh. Oh. Nice wow. to see you. Nice to see you. Boy, it's a really... I'm a, I love, lovely to finally meet you and, and interview you. Really, it's, uh, I'm a longtime fan. I, I recognize this from a music video. This outfit is very re- re- resonant of, uh, is it uh, Feels Like a Woman? Is that, that don't impress me that don't much. much. Exactly, that's it. That's exactly. It's not the same dress, no, is it? No, this Nobody's is like, it's, it's kind of, you know, Shania-esque. This is like the giraffe version. <laughs> sure. Well, <laughs> listen, before we get into it, uh, I am legally required to start a Shania Twain interview with this. <laughs> Let's go, girls. That's awesome. All right. All right. Okay, we are in the midst of what historians are calling the Shania-sance. Okay, where you have a new album coming out on February 3rd. There it is. It's called Queen of Me. All right. You're going on a global arena tour. You're everywhere. Last last year, you you had a surprise appearance, Harry Styles concert, right there at Coachella. You have a popular Netflix documentary, Shania Twain, Not Just a Girl, and you just won an Icon People's Choice Award. There you go. The animal pattern. The animal prints continue. So what is this? Listen. What what does this moment feel like to you, Shania Twain? I am just so incredibly energized lately. I think that COVID was... It was a very creative time for me, the isolation. Um, now, I here you spent... like isolation. I do like I mean, not that kind of isolation. No, but you, you know, like but for forced. creatively, yeah. I love being isolated. I love to write music. So I like to be alone. I lock myself in the bathroom often to get that, you know, alone time space. Uh, in closets. <laughs> I mean, I really Really? Lo- you literally crawl into a closet and close the door? Closets are great. I need to be alone. I really do. I don't... I'm <laughs> guessing, Shania Twain, you have a better closet than I, I do. I probably. <laughs> um, no, I know that probably... It does sound weird just saying, saying it out loud, but yeah. I need the isolation. I need a space where I can um, let go of my inhibitions. There's no wrong thing to write. There's no wrong thing to say. I can say it out loud, I can scream it, whatever the emotion is, and not feel judged. So this is my no inhibition zone. You know, closets, bathrooms, where I can find privacy. Well, you've, you've won many awards, uh, uh, five Grammys, as I said before. I am just curious how this moment feels to you. This is, this is an, another high point recently. Where, where is this? A train was named after you. 
the Shania Train. <laughs> is this Canada? Is this it's back true. home? <laughs> this is in Switzerland. Oh, in Switzerland. Yeah, they take their trains really seriously they take there. Their trains, they take their twain trains very seriously. No. Um, no, it's true. I have a long history with trains um, from my childhood um, growing up in Canada, but so it was very... Um, it was very cool for me to be able to be there at the inauguration and have the train named after me. It was really a compliment. And Shania you have, Train. You have a signature right under there underneath Shania Train. Did you sign it live in the moment? I did sign it live in the moment. I wasn't sure if it was going to be, I thought they were going to get me to redo it later or something like that. So it's, but this is my real signature and it's, I've been doing thousands of signatures for my album. I've sure. been signing the inserts, you know, for the yeah. album, for the CDs. So. It's probably a very decent, you know, version of my signature, but yes. yeah, it's permanent. However good or bad it is, it's permanent. So anyone who rides that train could forge a check from you. <laughs> We're all. We I good? sure hope not. Yeah. Now you've you've influenced uh, a, a generation of of uh, younger musicians: Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, Post Malone, uh, Diplo. What what do you say to this next generation of Trace musicians? Trace the Jonas Brothers. It's gonna, I mean, it's so just it's like, on and on. But like, what do you hear it? Like when, you, when they me. say, like when when Post Malone says, "You really influenced me." Do you ever say, "I don't hear it"? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm a really big fan of uh, pop music in general. So many different styles. I love Post Malone. I'm, I'm actually mm -hmm. just a genuine fan of his music and his voice. Um, what he has to say. You know, what this all means to me is that things have gone full circle in these last 30, you know, 25, 30 years for me. These are, these are artists that were kids, you know, four or five, six years old, yeah. growing up to my music. Um, and now they're grown up and able to say, express whatever that inspiration was to me. So it, re it feels really, really good. I just want to sit down around a campfire with these guys and say, let's just see what happens, you know? <laughs> let's get out our guitars and um, that would make it's a, a really lot of good special. I would watch that. <laughs> Shania Twain, take the Twain, the, 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 the Twain train. That's it, take the and Twain up train. And up to the junction, yep. get out and sit around a fire with a guitar and yep. Shania Twain. Get, roll on those Twain tracks right down to the fire. How did you... So, it's a great shot of you and Harry on stage. How did you become friends with Harry Styles? Do you guys uh, hang? He was playing in New York, actually. This is before he really blew up. And uh, I went backstage to meet him. And he said, you know, we became texting friends at that moment. And text me a few weeks later, would you call my mom and wish her a happy birthday? And I'm like, of course, sure. You know, my mom was a big influence on me. And she, uh, you know, she's why I grew up with your music. So, um called her up, wished her happy birthday, and, and Harry and I have been friends ever since. We have to take a quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back with more Shania Twain, everybody. Hey, we're back with the artist whose new album is, here we go, uh, Queen of Me. Shania Twain, you've said that um, music for you uh, was an escape when you were younger. Yeah. Is it still an escape for you? Music is my great escape. It's the me time. It is my isolation time. Sure. Um, it's kind of, it's just a time where I can get lost in my songwriting and forget about the rest of the world for a little bit. 
Songwriting is this creative space where I can just make up whatever it is I want to feel. I, I, wanna, I can create my mood, I can set the tone, I can express. It's, it is my genuine therapy. So yeah, that's, it's my go-to, it's my self-help. Do you recommend it to other people? Do you ever say, hey, you should, you should write? I, 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 listen, I do it all the time. I always say, listen, whether you're a songwriter or uh, a professional writer or not, whenever you have ideas, write them down. Um, you'll look back on them later, or you never do. You can burn them if you want, but it's, it's a good out. No, sometimes that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or just write stuff down and then burn it and forget about it. But it's just good to get it out. And sometimes, I mean, it's you know, you can always talk to your dog too. They're perfect, great therapy. Um, but writing it down and letting it go, getting it off your chest—that's what songwriting is for me. Well, let's let's talk about your sixth studio album right here again, Queen of Me. That's a, quite a provocative. Check this out here, Jim. This is a, that's quite a provocative cover. You're heading out on a global tour in support of this album. Tell me about the album. I wrote the album during COVID. It was an exercise of picking my spirits back up, you know, taking self-control of my mood and saying, listen, I need to get, I need to stay as optimistic as I can for my family. I've got to stay positive. So I just started writing all kinds of positive songs, songs that made me feel good, songs that made, made me want to get up and dance. Um, in fact, per, and, and queen of me, you know, taking charge, saying, listen, I'm the boss of me, and I'm in charge of my own mood and my own spirit. I, no, nobody can cheer me up except for myself. So get to it, and that's what I did. And at midnight tonight, we are going to uh, get very cheered up because I've got my, my new single's coming out, it's called Giddy up, but the, 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 the reason I'm bringing it up is because the whole album is really all about putting some pep back in your step, putting um, you know, the spice back in your life. So up in your giddy is what's gonna happen to you at midnight tonight. I'm gonna put some <laughs> up in your right giddy. Now. I actually think that's, I think that's right about now tonight, Twain. Well, if you wanna get up in your giddy, get the new album, Queen of Me. It goes on sale on February 3rd. The single is released tonight at midnight. Shania Twain, everybody. More Late Show Poncho after this. Hey, everybody. That's it for The Late Show. Tune in tomorrow. My guests will be Chris Wallace and Jesse Buckley. But before we go, I just wanted to say a few words by uh, a man who was a professor of mine and who I am bold enough uh, to call a friend, Frank Galati, who uh, uh, has died yesterday. He was an, uh, an amazing teacher, uh, an inspirational figure for those of us who were lucky enough to have worked with him at all, and a brilliant director. And uh, he taught me things in the short period of time that I knew him that uh, changed my life, changed the way I approached my work and what I wanted out of my professional and artistic life and really gave me the confidence to think of myself as an artist for the very first time. And uh, I'll always be grateful to him for the generosity of his spirit. And there are so many things that I learned from him and so many things I think about in terms of being a performer and what it is required to be a performer and what that calling means. And I recently had a conversation with John Lithgow about Frank, just during the commercial break, our, com our cameras are always rolling. Um, and uh, when I heard that uh, Frank had passed, I just wanted to play for you some of the things that I learned uh, from Frank and his example. 
Jim. Did you know Frank Galati at all? Did you know who he was? I, I never met him. I saw a lot of his great productions. Frank was a, uh, a, a teacher and, and eventually a friend at and, Northwestern. At Northwestern. Yeah. And he told that story. He said, the Balanchine story is what I heard from him, is that he was telling a class one day and complimenting us by saying, you know, those of us in the theater, and we were all just students, but he was like, those of us in the theater, he goes, you know, we sometimes, we, you know, we make light of the fact that some people who aren't in the theater come backstage and they say, oh, how do you remember all those lines? And, and he said, how do you remember all those lines? Let's not take for granted that there's something magical about that. You've changed something in yourself. People don't sit down and memorize two hours of, mm-hmm. of text. You did. Why did you do that? And how did you do that? Mm-hmm. And he goes, how is, what are you when you go on stage? Are you, you, what is that other thing that you're becoming? How are you presenting yourself to the audience? What are, you, what are you willing to become to be this person who wants to present ideas and emotions to an audience? How do you become beautiful? Mm-hmm. And that the beauty of the world we see all around us, and when you go on stage, you answer the accusation of the world, which is that you are hiding your beauty. Uh-huh. The beauty of the world accuses you of hiding your beauty. But when you go on stage, whatever you are, whatever part of humanity you are, you are just as much a part of the world that you find beautiful. And therefore, when you're on stage, you're as beautiful as any statue, you're as beautiful as any sunset. And will you allow people to see you beautifully? And then he tells that story of Balanchine saying, raise your leg. No, raise it beautifully. And it meant something to that ballerina, and she did raise it beautifully. And that's stuck with me. How do you now do it? Wonderful. Now, can you do it beautifully? And that doesn't mean gently or lovely. It means Uh beautifully, no matter what you're portraying. Thank you, Frank. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.